Father, we give you thanks. Thank you for another time in your presence. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ha. I think we'll just do 30 for five minutes. Just there's also the shit to do. There's also the shit. By seven. Is your father coming? Oh, okay, so, so can stress it to this one. We are in very interesting times. Bulu. Bulu was supposed to pray for her today, but she refused. She turned me down. <laughs> Bulu turned me down. Bulu, you turned me down. I've reported you to God. And I'm here to tell you that any day you complain or give excuse. Okay, I won't tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> you did. You did. I had I had um we had a meeting since yesterday, man. Ten to five. Seven hours teaching session. That's what I'm talking about. Teaching. In fact they are not done, I just had to leave. Seven hours from ten to five. Had they stressed into six o'clock. That that's where we are coming. Oh, you won't even feel it. So I had to. I I, can't, I couldn't miss it because one of my mentors in ministry. So I had to. So but, um, I had to push it. But this is not our normal meeting time. So um, we we'll, we'll revert back to the usual after today. But we're we're in very interesting times. I, I wish I could have taken you guys there. <laughs> oh God! All right, amen. So, um, hmm. so we're discussing f- father power. Okay, this looks good. <laughs> we're discussing father power. So. Um, Where's the Bible? <laughs> what do you have against Bible? Eh? Where's the Bible? Oh, God. Eh? All right. All right. All right. Dot of them. Where's the Bible? You don't have physical Bible. I'm so, I'm so, oh my God. Don't worry. Eh? Uh, I'm beyond charged. Believe me, you are going to be here to talk. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. There is a prayer I used to pray when I was younger. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was a meaningful prayer because there are certain prayers we pray that are not meaningful. And that's part of the reasons why we do such teaching sessions like this so that we have accurate understanding of who God is and what is expected of us. I used to pray, Lord, let my capacity meet with my reality. And that means that it's possible for you to, to be capable of doing something, but you're not doing it. For example, telling Bodhi to take the word today. But let me tell you your capacity. You can comfortably lead a fellowship of 500 students comfortably at your, at your capacity. You, don't, you, are, you are doubting it. There's, 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 there's something, there is something in man that is insidious. It is very tricky. And its operations is covert. It's not overt. It's called the spirit of fear. And one of the ways the spirit of fear manifests is in waiting to be granted permission before you start living the life that God has called you to live. I mean, you have that business idea and you're waiting for permission. You're waiting for one supernatural occurrence to happen before you know that God has approved you. And I don't really blame us because, I mean, over time, the books we've read, the people we've listened to, Maybe, okay, just imagine me telling you that before I started the father's family, I entered into a 40-day fast. And so you now think that that is a criteria for you to start doing whatever you want to do. And then, you know, people tell you that before they started, you know, their business, they had to write a business plan, you know, spoke to investors. And then those things we hear constitute permissions that we want to take before we start doing those things we want to do. And another permission we wait to take is, we actually wait for the permission, we call it feedback or review of our peer. What do you think? I want to start this business. What do you think about it? And such people who have tried such things in their life and not succeed, they will tell you you can't succeed because they tried it and it didn't succeed. So most times we look for permission from people before we do what God wants us to do. And the only permission that we need is the fact that Jesus has died for us and that he shed his blood for us. That's the only permission we need. And when I look, when I look back at my life, I, I realized at certain points in my life where I was supposed to break into something, I was waiting for permission because I was scared not to tread into this particular territory because something might happen to me because I'm not prepared. But, but time will come. And one of the things that this series is going to do for us, entering into December, is it's going to be breaking certain mindsets that has held us down. I mean, me inclusive. You see, because this is a progressive work. Amen? So I don't want you to start doubting your capacity. Especially as a believer. You are capable of much more. When did... Is it is it a uh, 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 When did he become? Is it was it the premier of the of the south? South south west. That's Awolowo. Uh, how old was he when he started? South Awolowo southwest. How? It was I think within his twenty. It was twenty four. Who was twenty four? Is it Zeke or Awolowo? When he became premier. Yes. 
when they started leading. I think so one of them was 24 years. Think about it. Think about it. Think about the average 24-year-old Nigerian now. Now, think about the things they think about on a daily basis. And as I then, those 24-year-olds were already taking responsibility of territories, communities. And at 24, eh, somebody is still waiting for permission to even just try out or launch a business. And these guys, with little or no experience, I mean, how much experience do you have at 24? How much experience do you have? Even if you went to Harvard, how much experience do you have running a country? Hmm? And then these are the people that today we complain that they are misleading us. But they started misleading us at when? 24. So, but the fact is that they even dared to start. Don't you feel too old already? Uh, eh? Seeking permission is very insidious. It looks wise. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't, I mean, seek counsel before you step out. But having sought counsel, what are you waiting for? I don't know what people will say. Oh, what if I fail? What will it do to my reputation? We are so proud that we can't even do things that will help our own future. Hey, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyways, I'm saying this because what we are going to be entering into from today is there's going to be a lot of mental shift in our head, especially concerning how we think about our lives and our destinies. Most of you will realize that that thing you're asking God to speak to you about, God has been waiting for you to speak to you, to do something about it. Yes. And you know, of course, with, with the cultural, with the cultural environment, our parents, you know, their own experiences, you know, which enter into the advice they give us form part of what? The paradigms that limit us. So because maybe your father couldn't start a business at 30, he'll tell you to wait till you're 35. So you have a little bit of experience. I remember when I was... <laughs> I remember when I was, I was selling recharge card in, in the university then. My mother, my, my mother was so embarrassed I was selling recharge card. But my father was happy that I was doing it because, okay, this guy is entrepreneur. My mother was like, I should leave this thing that Don't worry, you'll be a big boy. Leave work in oil company and all that. But she was not seeing what my father was seeing. What my father was seeing is that this is someone who is beginning to take responsibility for his own finances. And my father was buying from me. In fact, there was time I stopped selling. I was like, why are you, why, why are you not selling? Do you get this? So, but that... That, not to lie, that thing my mother said it, it made me drop it a little. It made me drop it because I was like, okay, I'm a salary charge card. Because in her own innocent heart, she might have thought that, okay, maybe this guy will start seeing money in this now, abandon the petroleum engineering that he read. I mean, in the month you can make hundreds of thousands and you want to sell a charge card. I was having a discussion with my brother recently. My brother said, my brother recently got into furniture business. I was like, if he had known, would have started since 
And then he also related to the fact that, you know, our mom was not really supportive of that business thing because she was scared that you start business and all that. And that's maybe probably because she also tried out business and failed in some distance. She'll start, she'll be, so, but, but going back and analyzing her business prowess, I realized that she was more of a starter, but not a manager. You know, there are people who can start stuff, but can't manage. And so because of that deficiency, she felt that doing business was not profitable. I seen that. So you see how the experiences of our parents, even sometimes our mentors enter into the advice they give us and it limits us. That's why sometimes I try not to limit anybody. And that's the next time I tell you to preach, I'm going to preach. Amen. Say amen. Say amen. amen. Uh-huh. <laughs> For one hour, minimum. Right, so what we see here is that human beings have a systematic cognitive error. You know what cognitive error is, Abi? Yeah? What we call biases, fallacies, right? Idols in the marketplace. <laughs> Things that limit us. You know, but uh, look back at what I've taught you about the fall of man. Man at his creation function at a certain mental frequency. He didn't think impossibility. I mean, there was nothing impossible to him. I believe personally, not by what I see in scripture, that Adam could communicate with nature. Adam functioned at the particular mental frequency of the God class that he could communicate with. Angels, God, animals, plants. He understood the very nature of things. And that was where the wisdom to name them came from. You see, because Adam named those things according to their function. So he looked at them and saw a particular characteristic and named them after that. So he, he functioned at a particular frequency. There was... There was, there was no error in his thinking system. But what the fall introduced was cognitive error. That part of what the fall introduced was cognitive error. Man started having biases. Hmm. And, of course, one of those biases is the most famous one, confirmation bias, right? That if you believe something, you look for evidence to support it. And that is that in his very treacherous. It threatens businesses, it threatens marriages, it threatens relationships. Right? So for example, if I believe that my partner, if I believe that my partner is disrespectful, for example, I will look for evidences to support it. I will not stop and think, could this be something else other than disrespect? Or maybe when the man is spending too much time on his phone. You feel he's there must be a lady taking his time. You don't consider the fact that he's angry that Chelsea didn't win the match or something. Do you understand? So those biases, those confirmation biases, and there, there is this one they call blah, 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 blah. is this superimposition? I've forgotten the name. Hmm? Okay, so the bias is people have the tendency to overestimate their probability of success. Is that success? Yes. I've forgotten the name, but it starts with S. Superposition bias or something. So that means that when somebody wants to start a business, they don't actually pay attention to the facts. So, for example, if they've done a business plan and they've done the forecast, 
when they see this confirming evidence, they, they cast it aside. This one doesn't happen. But someone like Charles Darwin, for example, one of the things that made him a good genius was that for every theory he wrote, if he hears something that opposes his theory, he will write it down. Right? So we, we see those cognitive errors in our daily thinking as we speak now. In fact, if I do a, a psychological analysis, I can spot out a lot of biases that, are, that, that is informing the way we act. And it's possible that that thing that you're looking for is at the other end of that bias. If you could just take it away, you could see it. Do you understand? Another one is, I, I can't remember how to classify it now, is do you, how do I, how do I frame this? You know that observation affects behavior. That the truth is, I don't really know how you act. I'm not saying you pretend to me, but I don't really know how you act because, except I, I, I plant a camera here and monitor your day, then that's when I will know when you really act. But if I come in, even if we are living together as siblings, because I'm present, my presence will alter your behavior. You see, because in a community of people, behaviors are altered. So now, let take it to the mental level. Do you know that some of us live our lives based on what we think others think about us? And so we live in response to their thinking. So we are living a reactionary, re- reactionary life. You get that? You don't know what I'm thinking about you. You think I'm angry with you, so you're acting based on that. And so you're not living your life you are living your life based on what you think that I think, which I may not even be thinking. So you see the limitations that we've created around ourselves based on what does not even exist. Are you getting this? <laughs> ha. Slavery is bad and is very subtle. God will help us in Jesus' name. I, I don't want to enter into this. So what I was trying to say with that cognitive error is that with that, see, cultures grew out of cognitive errors. Most of what we call tradition grew out of error. Are you getting this? Of course, remember the birth of human civilization. I'm, I'm talking about it from a mental standpoint now, not the spiritual side, right? So we see that a lot of things that we hail as tradition came from error, not truth. In fact, sometimes even things that were established as truth, people built their life based on a false interpretation of that truth. For example, blood is thicker than water. What does it mean? Your relatives are there. But what's the original quote? What's the original quote? The original quote is that the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. That means that those you enter into a covenant with are even closer to you than your siblings. So, you mean, some of our parents have bullied us with blood is thicker than water. And yet, you find relatives that are more treacherous than strangers. But that thing is simply saying that when you make a pact with someone, in the extreme case, a blood covenant, 
you are more closer than even if you are twins in the womb. So that means that if you marry tomorrow, your spouse is closer to you than your sister. Eh? It's hard to believe. Is it because now? Oh, oh, why am I going to this marriage? Is it because a lot of people they are married for 10 years but they've not left their house, their father's house? They've not cleaved, they've not even left. It's not stock of cleaving. Eh? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> What was I saying? This laughter has pushed me somewhere else to another dimension. <laughs> what was I saying? People are not following it too. What was I saying? I was saying something. Okay, so cognitive errors. How does a lot of culture grow out of... A lot of things we believe grow out from cognitive error. So some of the things that we see... Okay, for example... Okay, let me not go there. Right? So we see the culture of men evolving out of cognitive error. And I talked about, of course, the telling of God's story and the call of a patriarch. How God had to interject because there was a unique story he was trying to tell. See, but because those human beings, well, Abraham that he called was still a human being who had been schooled in error. God had to unschool him. And now unschooling, in fact, is, it took God time. So God had to make use of the material he could find. So that means that there are certain things that God had to do or say to Abraham that God had to say within the context of the culture that Abraham was in for Abraham to understand it. Meaning that if Abraham wasn't limited by that culture, God would have just said it to him directly. Just the same way Jesus had to use parables to pass some message. That was not the message. It's just that the only way you can understand this is if I use an earthly story to tell you a heavenly experience. How be it, that culture was still corrupted. For example, that covenant that God caught with Abraham, eh, it was something that was already existing in their culture as pagans. How they caught covenant. God had to use it to tell him something. Although we find patterns of the divine within this culture, how be it corrupted? I get it. Is it because from Eden, they saw that there was a killing of an animal and that blood did something. So from that, they deduced blood covenant. But of course, they were practicing it in the shadow, not in the reality. It would take God to explain what the covenant really means. Right? So as culture evolved over time, we, we come to the time of Rome, for example. We see certain patterns or structure of family life that grew out of what? Cognitive error that had evolved over time and he evolved so that he could serve the needs of the time. Right? Are you following this conversation? So now, there was a family system. Of course, there was a Jewish family system which God tried to precipitate through Abraham. It wasn't perfect, but there was an idea God was trying to pass. So we also see the precipitation of a family system in the Roman culture. And that is what I'm going to use to talk about father power here. Right? Are you following this? One of what? Please, can you get more? Are we there? Are we there? Okay, so before I talk about that story, 
in Rome. And then I'll talk about the Jewish concept. Let's read a couple of scriptures, right? So we'll read the scriptures and then I'll, I'll dive into it. Is that, is that okay? So good. Let's start with uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 1. I'll read down. <laughs> this Bible is upside down. Okay. Wow. In fact, uh, a lot of things are going to change from today. Hey. Thank you. Ephesians chapter 1. I, I don't even know where Ephesians is again. It's like I'm backsliding. Jesus. Where is Ephesians? Where is Ephesians? Where is Ephesians? Uh, Ephesians? Alright. Ephesians chapter 1. Don't be preaching. I'm going to be drawing. Relax, relax. <laughs> Okay. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are, who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, let me announce the theme for next year is the Ephesian journey. That means throughout next year, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at other things, but Ephesians is the main subject because. Ephesians is the new Genesis. Right? I'm going to spend some other time. So we're going to be diving into Ephesians. But we're going to we're going to do it as Okay. Let me not distract myself. But next year will be will be bloody in a positive way. <laughs> eh? Next year will be bloody in a very positive way. Alright, so so he said, Blessed be God. Now hold on. This was Paul. Now, let me let me say some things about Paul. Paul was a Pharisee. I hope you know. Eh? So again. <laughs> Paul was a Pharisee, right? And what do you know about Pharisees? Pharisees are well versed in the Torah. Eh? They, in fact, they know it. I've told you in the Jewish culture, for you to become a man, you must know the Torah. Of head, so this man knew the scriptures as well. He knew it mentally. He could quote from anywhere. He knew the overview. He knew everything about it all. Are you getting this? So he had understanding of Genesis to Malachi. He knew it, right? Because that was his life, defending the Torah and all that. So we see him after encountering God and God showing him the error of his ways, including his cognitive error. God had to now start teaching him what the, the scriptures really meant and what it was really about. Remember I told you that the scriptures was a story about someone and that to understand that story, you have to look at the person. And that person was Jesus. So when Jesus came, right, it was through him that we could understand. And after his death, burial, and resurrection that we could understand that. Wow, do you know that all that noise about the promised land that the Bible was talking about promised land, promised land. The promised land was a figure of Christ. The promised land that we are entering into was Christ. The Sabbath day that they were supposed to exalt that. I mean, the Pharisees almost stoned Jesus because he healed, um, healed somebody on that day. The Sabbath was talking about our rest in Christ. So the Sabbath was standing in front of them and they didn't see. Those feasts they used to, the Jubilee, that year that, I mean, seven years that they won't walk or something. The Jubilee was Christ. 
the tabernacle that they were defending, the temple, was, was a type of Christ. But they didn't know. Are you getting? So that was why when Jesus came and told them, destroy this temple. Now look at the intelligence of, of that. If you read it, they asked him, give us a sign. What sign will you give us? You know, Jesus did not say, I will destroy this temple and raise it after three days. He said, destroy this temple, but they didn't get it. He was talking about his death. Say, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it after three days. So, they knew the scriptures, but they didn't have understanding of what the scriptures were really saying. So, this was Paul. But then, when he encountered Christ, in the period he was in Arabia, about 14 years or so, God had to school him and show him what the scripture really meant. So, the epistles are the explanation of the Old Testament. Do you get this? So, from Acts of the Apostles for the, the writings of the, this thing, it was an explanation. So, what Paul was doing here was really explaining because Paul now had an understanding of what the plan of God had always been. Even before the creation of time, he now came to understand what the plan of God was. And so he was writing about it here. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So Paul was saying that before in the beginning, before Genesis 1 verse 1 in the beginning, something happened. Something was happening and he was trying to give us insight into that. And he said that, that we should what? Be holy hmm? and what? Blameless. Before him in love, I have explained what holy is, but not blameless, right? Having, listen, predestined us to what? What's the word there? Adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So that means that Paul was telling us that God's original plan has always been Christ. Are you getting this? But now, there's a key word that he mentioned there, which I may not have time to get into, and maybe I may talk about it within the week, or maybe next week, is adoption. So now, you see, because of our cognitive errors, which also affected our language, we water down concepts such as, such as adoption, both in word and in practice. So when you think of adoption, what do you think? You go to one orphanage clinic and just pick one child, right? And sign papers. Now, now, the meaning of that adoption has been watered down. And I think I've explained it here before, but I'm going to re-explain what adoption really means. So what, what Paul was saying, I feel like standing up, but what Paul was saying is that God made Adam so that he can adopt him. Let me say, let me say it this way. God made Adam or created Adam so that he would give birth to him. Okay, let me say it like this. God made Adam so that God can birth Adam through Christ. Because Adam was a perfect human, but he was not yet let me use this word, born again. Let me use this word. He was not yet, he didn't yet have eternal life. So the life that he had in the garden was just perfect human life, which was not touched by death. Meaning that if he hadn't still taken the eternal life, he would still be perfect human. 
but he won't have the life of God in him. So God pointed to him the tree of life, which is a type of Christ. So God was simply telling him that I've made you, but to come into that image that I had, des- I had desired to, cre- to create you in, eh, you have to go through Christ. You have to believe in my son. Are you getting this? So whether sin entered the world or not, man would have needed to believe in Christ to receive the life of God. Are you getting this? So what happened after sin was just the original plan still happening. We are still going to be what? Adopted through Christ. But then what is adoption? I explained it the last time, but let me now use the Roman concept and then I'll wrap it up with the Jewish concept and we'll wrap it up for today and then we'll continue next week. Adoption. What is adoption? For us to understand adoption, we need to understand a concept known as patrias potestas or patria potesta, which means father power or father's power. Now in Rome, then, the father had absolute, see when I say absolute, the father had absolute authority over his sons, both in life and in death. Are you following this? The father had power over his sons. That as long as that father is alive, eh, the sons are not the, the sons cannot be independent. Now picture it like this. You see, it's in, it's in those times when we understand what compound means or community means, is because a man will start a lineage, build a nest, for example. Now, you know, in some of your villages, you have an OB or a place where the elders of that community meet. Now, this is it. The father has an estate. If he happens to be rich, he has an estate. He builds a house. When he gives, gives birth to his son, the son dare not say, I want to go and build a house. No. They will build ha- the son will build a house in the same compound. The son of, the, of his grandson will build the house. And that's how the, the whole ch- uh, lineage will build houses around that estate. And the father, who is the patriarch of the lineage, has power over all his sons. When he dies, the next one has power over all. Are, are you getting this? So that means that the father could decide, as in that was the, the power the father had. The father can decide the fate of his son. So the, the son's destiny is not outside of the father, it's in the father. Are you getting this? Are you following this? So what so the the, the power that the father had was so enormous that the father can sentence his son to death. And nobody will bat an eye about it. The man can wake up and say, I sentence you to death. Maybe you did something that brought shame to the family name. The father can sentence you to death. Are you getting this? The father had such power within the Roman culture. Now, that's not the case now. Right? Now, that was an imperfect representation of the truth. Now, follow me. Now, part of the power that the father had was the father can turn his son to a slave. His own legal son. His own son, biological son. He can turn him to a slave. Are you you following this? Is this sounding funny? But that's the truth. The same way the father can turn his son to a slave, the father can 
pick a slave and turn him to his son. A slave that was not born into the family biologically can become a son with 100% rights to the inheritance of that man. Are you following this? So the father had such power. Hmm? Good. Now, hey, okay. Let me read Galatians 4 so that Okay, let me read Galatians 4 so that I will not come back to this. Galatians chapter 4. Is this clear so far? Okay, no. I'll just stay with Ephesians. Don't worry. So that's the kind of power the father had. Do you understand? So that means that now the son might go outside and do something, right, that is very bad. And the state will want to swing into action. Hmm? Now, before the state swings into action, the question that the state will ask is, what did the father say about that matter? If I even before the state carries out a sentence on that boy, the father can carry out the sentence. So in the same way, the boy might do something bad and the state wants to bring their wrath upon the son and the father will say, leave the, the father can come and mediate for the son and say, he has done something bad, but leave him to me. Let the wrath of the state come on me. And then the father will negotiate his way out of that mess. Are you getting this? But redeem the son. And the father can still decide, no, this one is bad. You know what? I give, I give him to you. Punish him or I will kill him myself. Are you getting this? That was the kind of power the father had. In fact, there was this case. It's called the Catalin Conspiracy. I think uh, one of the sons of a big man went to join opposition to fight against Rome, his own country, his father. Even before the state did anything, his own father called him home, sentenced him to death. Now, in a case where a man has come to a great estate but does not have a son, a biological heir, to continue his family name, he can go and look for a slave. Or he can go to another family that is poor, that doesn't have anything, and adopt a son from that family. Are you, is this clear? The father had such power. And usually it's usually done in a case where maybe the man has so much wealth. It's because the concept of fatherhood comes from the fact that I have so much to give. I have so much love to give. I need somebody to share it with. And I don't want my family name to die. Right? So they can do that. So now, for that... No, so, so now, for, for the man to go and adopt another person who is not his biological son from another family or take his slave and make a son, there is a rigorous process they must go through to make that thing legal. Follow me. Now, um, it's done in two phases. One is called mancipatio and one is called vindicatio. Right? So, it's a symbolic sale. Hmm? So, so, let me say the man the man I don't have a son and I'm about to die and I need someone to continue my estate. Maybe you can look around, either see a slave or maybe he sees a poor family that probably are in debt or something. He just goes around and maybe confronts either the master of the slave or the father of the boy and says, and makes his proposition and say, I want to adopt your son or I want to adopt your slave. Are you getting this? And so, if 
the selling party, the father or the master agrees, now they are going to do a ritual. So this, this is what happens. And of course, it's approved by the law. And once that process is complete, you can't reverse it. And I will tell you the implications of that. So what will happen is this. So after, after the discussion has happened in private, then the master who has the slave or the father who has the son that he wants to do away with will bring the son or the slave to the market square and say, this boy is for sale. Hmm? And leave him there to leave him. Now, remember that they've done the discussion in the background, so nobody's going to come for him. Just that one. So he comes, of course, brings him to the marketplace and announces that this boy is for sale, right? And goes. The way to leave him, nobody buys him. The, the father will take him back, or the master will take him back, as, as though he's buying him back because he had put him in the market. So he's buying him back, he'll take him back home. The second day, he'll bring him to the marketplace again. Announce the same thing. This boy is for sale, and goes back home, and then comes back and take buys him back. Then on the third day, he now brings his son again. Announce the same thing. This boy is for sale, and wait till evening. And then towards the evening, when he was he's about to take his son back, the man who wants to adopt now comes and says, "Has anybody bought this boy?" He says, "No." He now says, "Okay." So it means that this one is good for nothing. And since it's good for nothing, I make a proposal to buy the boy, right? So once the man now agrees, they do a symbolic exchange, I think of copper or something, right? They exchange, and then he takes the boy, he goes to the, the magistrate, and then they sign a document. Now, that process of bringing him to the market is emancipatory, right? So now when they now do the sale, he'll now take him to the, to the magistrate's office, who is a concern of the law, and then signs a document transferring this boy from this family to that family. See, the moment that document is signed, listen to me, that boy cannot go back to that family. And if that family, now see, that means that every right that he has, he had in this house, he loses it. 100%. His name his right. His siblings no longer become his siblings. His siblings cease to be his siblings. That means that... Okay, before I say that, then when he now comes into this family, he has 100% rights as though he was a biological heir of this man. Hmm? And now, the funny part... See, this, law, this process was so powerful that if that boy had a sister in this family that he, he came from, that sister no longer is no longer his sister. He can marry her. I mean, this was a biological sister. But the law is so powerful that you can no, you, as in, you can marry this your sister here. But that is the one he is related to by blood. Though. Then this one that he now came into that they're not related to by blood. He cannot marry her because this one is now a sister. That's how powerful that law was. Eh? So. The name he used to answer there, he can no longer answer it. So that means that if he was owing a debt, if he was owing somebody 100,000, and the next day the person comes and sees him, and let him say his name was James, and calls him James, James, he can't answer the name. And if you harass him, James is not you. Say, I'm not James. He, he can't answer that name. Say, I'm not James. And he harasses him, takes him, takes him to court, 
that guy will lose the case and will compensate him for harassment because you're not talking to James anymore. Maybe you're talking to John. He can no longer answer his former name. So whatever came with this name is gone. He now answers this name. Are you getting this? So that guy who was not a part of this family now becomes a part of this family legally and has 100% rights the inheritance of this particular family. Now, this was the idea of adoption. And it was prosecuted under the auspices of the father's power. Meaning that the father had power. So, what that implies is that the father can make a son by the words of his mouth. Are you getting this? So, the two ways to be a father is either by birth or by what? by word so by the words of the father in that exchange he bets his son let me wrap to your mind a little bit how was Adam created okay how was Jesus created okay how was Adam created how was Adam born Okay, so okay, so I want you to picture this. You know, of course, the telling of the story, right? So what we see is that God came down and did like this. I said a moody. Abi? And did like this. Is that what you see? Is that what you see? Be honest. That's what you say, Abi. How can the spirit do that? How can the spirit do that? So, what was the need for creating a man with a body to interact with the earth? Let me wrap your brain. You don't have to take my word for it. When, see, I, I, I know how the narration is, but let me tell you this. When, oh, <laughs> when God spoke and said, let us make man, what left the mouth of God was what? It was breath. It was spirit. That spirit entered into the earth and took a body. So I want you to look at it, look at it, look at it in a movie fashion. That you are in an expanse of land, you are watching from the corner. And you see trees growing from the ground. Mm -hmm. Now you don't see an architect physically doing all this thing. You just look suddenly you see water. You see fishes, you see birds. The thing is just happening, and then you just see something coming out of the ground. A human body. So when God spoke his word, that word entered the ground and picked up a body. You will understand this in the next five years. (laughs) So the word of the father produced the son from the dust. It's the same way Jesus came. The word of God, the prophecies that had gone forth, Anna entered the womb of Mary and took an egg and fertilized it. So the father birthed a son by the words of his mouth. And as in speaking that word, his spirit went into action and birthed a son. It's the same way, so it's the same narrative, but of course in the mundane fashion. So a man by the word of his mouth can birth a son that he didn't birth. 
So we see that the father's power, the father could turn a slave into a son or a son into a slave by the words of his mouth. A father can condemn his son by the words of his mouth. So the father was so powerful that he could condemn his son to die. So Paul used that analogy see, because when Paul was talking, he was talking to the Romans. So when a Roman sees adoption, he understands the process, even without you explaining. When I say adoption, you are thinking of going to orphanage and picking a son. But when they say adoption, the language in which it was written was this process. So they understand what he meant. So that means that that boy, the moment he's been bought, he's dead. It's like he's dead to this one and he's alive to this new one. Are you, are you following this? So what Paul was saying is that God's original plan was adoption. So if sin did not enter, how he would have adopted us was if Adam what chose Christ. Now, I don't want to get into the process, right? But if Adam had taken of the fruit of the... We know it's symbolic. He would have been now adopted. So adoption doesn't mean that I, I, don't, I don't have a father and mother. No, adoption is the original deal. So us coming into Christ is called adoption. But now, so, I mean, even if sin didn't enter, but now sin entered, that means that we, we are now, listen, listen, listen. Remember Father Power. When sin entered, we came under the power of a certain father, as it were. Remember that Jesus told to them, you are like your father, the devil, because whatever, you get. So man had another father, which was the devil. So he was under his father's power. Are you getting this? So that all, see, all that God did in Christ was adoption. His death, burial, and resurrection. You see, because when he was on the cross, God put the sin of the world on him. That means that at that moment, the devil had power over Jesus. So, remember that three days, it was the same thing that happened three days. That's why Jesus had to stay three days. All these things are symbols. The, the fulfillment is obvious here. So that's why Jesus had to spend three days. Because that adoption process was happening. You have to go through Mansipatio and vindicate you. So, so, that, so because the sin of the world, the whole world was put upon God, upon Jesus, right? All of us were what? Represented in that particular act. So when on the third day, the father now bought him. How? By putting his spirit on him and raising him, Jesus became the firstborn among the dead. That means that this was the first begotten among the dead. So this was the first one to be adopted into the family of God. Are you following this? Right? So, and the moment he's been adopted, everything that now belongs to God belongs to him. Are you following this? See, everything that God had, that's why the Bible says, and God now gave him a name that is above every name that had the name of Jesus, every neighbor. So that means that at, at that point, Jesus representing the whole of humanity now became adopted into the family of God and became the heir of God. So, and now when he did it, he had all of us in mind. So that anybody who now believes in the sacrifice of Jesus goes through that process of adoption by believing. And so when you now get adopted, you are a joint heir with Christ. So that means the same rights that Jesus has is the same that you have. Are you getting this? Now, let me round it up with the Jewish concept so you understand a little bit. 
Now, the Jewish concept of adoption is different. It's, diff- it's a little bit different from the Roman. Now, in, in, in Jewish culture, what happens is this. Now, the adoption happens within the family. Are you following this? The adoption, now, with this one, you come from another family into the family. But now, this is within the family. What the man does, remember I talked about in the testament of the 12th tribe, the man begins to observe all his sons. I said, this one will have sense. Let me watch him a little bit. This one, I'm not sure. So what the father does is he puts all of them to a test. Right? So the one who passes the test, who emerges on top, right? Even if it's Joseph, that is the 11th child. Are you following this? Right? What now, be, what now happens is that the father now adopts that one as his son. I explained it last week as what? He now becomes what? The one who manages the estate, the one who can sign in the stead of his father. Is this clear? Now, other sons have inheritance, but this one is the one that I'm passing the family burden to the family line, to the family name to now. It's your responsibility. Are you getting this? So now, how they do it in Jewish culture is that when they now find that son, whether it's the firstborn or the last, they take him to a marketplace, put him on a rock, and announce that this one has been approved by me. Hmm? He now announces it. He now exalts him publicly and says, this, my, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I've adopted him. He does the presence of anybody. And now takes his signet ring. Now your signet ring is like your signature. It's like the password to your safe deposit box where all the family wealth is. Right? It's like the signature of the family. It's like the, your signature to access your bank account. Right? He takes that signet ring the father still alive and puts it on the son. From that day, the way the Jews understand it, from that day, if that boy appears like this and says anything, it's as though the father has said it. Are you following this? So that means that the boy can go for party like this and he gives a check of 15 million. They'll build the father. Anything the, the boy does is as, though, is as though the father has done it. So he, because he carries the authority of his father. So now the other the other son may come. Maybe, maybe they might be doing a bidding thing, and the other son will come and say, "I bid for this." They won't listen to him because he's not the one with the what with the signet ring. So it's when that one with the signet ring comes and stamps that decision, they say the father has spoken. That was why when Jesus came, God had to announce that this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. So God was simply saying, I've adopted this one, I've accepted this one, and this one carries my signet ring. And that anything he says is what I say. Anything he does is what I do. That means you can see me through him. Is this clear? Is this clear? That's the father power, right? So, so what now happens is that what, G, what happened to Jesus, right, was a representation of what happened to us when we believed. That God took us. So look at the. So think about the Roman, Roman process. Look at the rigorous process of bringing you from this family to this family. And when that is done, that is done. Are you getting this? So whether, so whether he, whether this son that has come from here is still behaving like these people, he's still a son here. Are you getting this? You can no longer call him this name. Are you getting? So whether he is living 
temporarily because of his lack of understanding or it has not dawned on him, right? He's still the son of this man because he has been legally adopted into the family. He's now a family member and there's nothing you can do about it anymore, right? So the father's power was demonstrated in how that he bought us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. And the powerful thing about that is that the same authority that Jesus had is the same that we have. So that's why when we say in the name of Jesus, eh, it's as though Jesus is coming and saying, happen, this happen. So the question is, why is it that believers are not experiencing this? Is because of that lack of understanding. We've not really seen it. It has not dawned on us that this is the truth. Because, I mean, you can be so, in so much wealth and not be taken advantage because you are scared. You are scared. You don't, you don't want to... You don't want your father to call you. You don't want to... You know the way our fathers raised us. If you want to touch the free, they warn you. So, I mean, if you want to even play with your father, you can... You know, so we, we now begin to see God as our principal or our school teacher or as our father. So we don't have that liberty that sons have. And where you see that liberty is in children. A military man will have a child. All his soldiers under his command is afraid of him. His son will come and jump on his head and be pulling his beard. You, the soldier, come and do it. Do you get it? So when we were children, that was when we demonstrated liberty because... I mean, you could go into your father's room, put your leg in his shoe, just be going. Do it now. Do you get? The point is that there is a liberty that comes with being a son in a family. You know how that you can have a house help, and as a son you can come and even sit down and eat, or sit down and dine, but the house will stay in the kitchen and be eating. They don't have the liberty. And even when you invite them to eat, they might sit on the edge of the seat. Because they don't have the, 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 first of all, they don't have the consciousness that they have rights in this house. Even if you start telling them, don't worry, you have rights, you have rights, and all that, it, it will take time for them to adjust. So it's possible for a son of God not to act like a son of God because it has not really dawned on him. And so, because of the plenty of things we've heard of experience with our own natural parents, it's possible for us to believe the rights that we have. So, now, this demonstrates the love of the Father, right? And it's so profound because where we were, we did not deserve any of that. So, the Father sentenced his own son to death. The Father had that power. Get, do you know why God... So, why did God sentence Jesus to death? Why? And the Bible said that it pleased God to bruise him. Do you know what that means? It means that when Jesus was on the cross, then God was like, That's good. I love you, Philip. That God was so angry that he tore the veil. <laughs> you know, because the Bible said that when Jesus was on the cross, when he died, the veil tore from top to down. You know, people picture say that because it tore from top to down, it means that God tore it. From if you want to see that, is it? Hmm? Uh, it has a significance of explaining. Okay, it it's all because now the the holy of holies was a symbolic representation, right, of 
access that cotton was a representation of access to the presence of God. So in the olden days, only the high priest could go into that place, only one person. But as that cotton tore, it meant that all of us could go in. Do you get? Because it, then, even the high priest, for him to enter, he has to do a lot of ritual sacrifices. And then when he's entering, they'll tie a cord to him. So that when he dies there, they'll just pull him out. So the presence of God was so scary. In fact, because man was a sinner, it would smite you. You didn't have access. You needed blood to go. So he was, he was covered in blood, ritualistically, for him to enter. So when God, in the whole place, looks upon him, he doesn't see the priest. What does he see? He sees the blood. Are you getting this? He sees the blood. And guess where the priest pours the blood? On the mercy seat. So, that is symbolic of the fact that now, when we come into the presence of God, who does God really see? Who does God really see? Sees Jesus and his sacrifice. Yeah? So, are you saying that if I make a mistake or I sin and I stand before God, he will listen to me? Yes. It is not your voice. It is not even your tears that opens heaven. What opens heaven? Blood. If you look at the story of Elijah, you will see the intelligent, the priesthood intelligence he applied there. Elijah had to wait for the time of evening sacrifice. And before he opened his mouth to pray, what did he do? He offered sacrifice. Because the only thing that opens heaven or opens the ear of God So they needed to do that any time they wanted to pray. But now because Jesus has done it once and for all, the heavens are perpetually open. God's ear is perpetually open to you. So when you come to pray in the name of Jesus, God has no other option than to hear you. Even if you just finish fighting with somebody outside. He will hear you and he will answer you. Are you getting this? So God, see, if God does not honor his word and answer you, yeah, he would rather die. In fact, it's easier for God to die than for him not to answer you. Because based on what Jesus had done, he doesn't have an option. So he sentenced his own son to death. And when he was doing it, do you know what he had in mind? Do you know what he had in mind? I just read it to us now. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless, having predestined us. So when he was bruising Jesus, he, he had you in mind. Remember, the Bible said that Jesus, who for the joy of what was said before him, suffered the cross. What was the joy that was said before him? He saw that he was going to have billions and trillions of brothers, other sons. Those just like a woman who is giving birth. And when she thinks about the child, she pushes me. So all that thing that God had to do, he did it because of you. He did it because of me. And so he had to go through the process of adoption. Right? That process of adoption also represented his death, burial, and resurrection. Brought Jesus out. Is it because, remember that the sin that was on Jesus that took him down to hell was whose sin? Was it Jesus' sin? No, it was yours. It was mine. Right? So, whatever he was doing in Jesus, 
he was doing it for you. So, all we need to do is just to believe that this is true. You are persuaded that this is true. He sends the Spirit into our hearts so that we can cry what? Abba Father. Because only a son who knows he's a son can say Father. A servant will say what? Master. Are you getting this? So we see the love of God demonstrated in his power by condemning Jesus to death and raising him back up to life just because he didn't want us to perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So we see that God is compassionate as well as merciful, gracious. And yet we see that the Father is powerful. But now the power of God is applied in his love towards us. So that means that the way God applies power is what? Is what? I just said it now. Love. So you see those people that have power and become treacherous. That's not how God is. In fact, God uses power powerlessly to demonstrate the powerlessness of power. When you give, God, when you give men power, they become tyrants. But when you give God power, he becomes a lover. So all his power, he puts it into loving. Yes. The resurrection was because of love. It's just like saying that when a man earns money, he uses it to fund the one that he loves. Does it make sense logically? <laughs> no. I mean, why would make money finish just for it to come chop my money? What? No. But God is such a dramatic lover that all his power, he invests in his love. So, for example, this is a little bit dicey, but let me put it out like this. See, if you are not in the family of God, God does not have a prerogative to protect you. I see where. I mean, God is merciful to everybody, but the deal is, is a family affair. That's why God is so desperate about the gospel. Tell people about their father. Let them come in. There's so much to enjoy. Right? So, because those who are on the outside are enemies of God. They made themselves enemies of God. And the truth is, God is loving them. But if you touch his child, anything you see, you take. Are you getting what I'm saying? Eh? So that means that the child of God may do something that may naturally bring the, the as it were, wrath of God, but it won't happen. But if you now, so you are standing in the corner of one room with calabash around you, calling the name of his child, anything you see, you take. Because the power that he demonstrates in that moment is just a representation of his love for someone. Have you ever seen the rage of a man towards his, as, in, as in towards someone that hurts his wife? Let me tell you. Let me, let me, let me, I know we see a lot of movies. Eh? But let me advise you. Even if you, are, even if you rate a man and see that you are stronger than him physically, eh? 
if the offense towards him is that maybe you did something to his wife or you hurt his wife, better negotiate for peace. Because the way rage happens is that he may not need to be the one to demonstrate that rage, but if you don't apologize, something happens and you won't know what it is. Except it may be, you know, Christians sometimes we used to do, we forgive, but that's the same way it is with God. So, in fact, you, in fact, you can literally see, even a man on a normal day, you can beat him up, but there's, there's a kind of strength that comes over him when it's about love. I know I, know I had certain experience. I mean, in, 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 in primary school, I was very notorious. When I say notorious, when they hear my name, they used to run. Literally, I'm not even joking, on a normal day. If our teachers knew me, there's no manner of them they didn't succumb. In fact, that time, if I enter this track, you say this one has come in, he wants to come and carry it. As now, I was everywhere. You get. In fact, if I, it was even worse when maybe you now beat my sister. I don't care if you are like this. And I can remember that there's one particular guy, I think he did something to myself. On a normal day, if we do fair and square. Because, I mean, when I was young, I was, I was tiny. In fact, my mother used to think that I was going to be a dwarf. Right? I was very tiny, like on the floor, round like that. And as I was round like that, that's how stubborn I was. I don't care who you are, I'll fight you. Like, bring it on. Do you get? Even if my back lands on the ground, but I won't run away from you. But there was this particular guy, I knew that this was one of the strongest in school then. But it has nothing to do with my sister. That boy's back reached the ground that day. It's because there's some sort of power that love gives you. Are you getting this? So God channels his power through his love. So towards the believer, it is to do him good. So God's love is redemptive in its approach. So the fire of, for example, when you say God is a consuming fire, not to the believer. If the fire of God falls upon you, it is to refine you. Are you getting it? It's that same fire. It's the same fire that falls on demons and they run. You get so when it's towards the believer, he channels this power through his love to bring redemption to that person. So no matter how many times you run away from him, as in God is so dramatic that as you are trying to run away, he's pursuing you. He's following you up and down. You know, you know when you have a lover that is as though they are stalking you up and down. That's the kind of God he is. That's kind of God he is. And so we see him demonstrating his power through adoption. Just because he loved us. Such powerful process. Such powerful process. And all we need to do is believe and say it with our mouth. Because how God creates is by speaking. So when, for example, when you complain about something, you are creating. That's as long as you're in this kingdom, you create through your speech. Okay. I think I have to round up here because of time. I mean, we... Ah, shit. I went more than an hour. Please forgive me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm rounding up now. I'm rounding up. But I just scratched the surface. We're going to enter into it from next week. Right, so we see the Father's heart in His love and the demonstration of His power towards us in Christ. Is this clear? So, listen, if you read 1 Timothy 1, you will see that 
The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. Right? The solution to the spirit of fear is not fearlessness. It's understanding adoption. That you have, you are in the Father's family now, and you have the same liberty that Jesus has. As in, it's, it's not, okay, it's like if God puts a drink in the fridge and puts Jesus' name on it, you can walk and take that drink and nobody will harass you for it. Yes. Hmm. So listen, any time you hear the lie of the devil in your ear, that's no. Let's debunk it. Because you belong to the Father. You are in His family. You are loved by Him. And you have to go through a rigorous process to get you into His family. And He's not about to lose you. For, for what? Do you know what He had to do? Do, 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 do you know the cost of one believer? One. You, okay, let me say this. Let me say this to round up, sorry. If you read history... You, you will know that Sparta had one of the most powerful armies. Is that true? Is that true? And if we follow it logically, the nation with the, most, with the most powerful army is supposed to conquer the world. Isn't it? So why didn't, why did Rome, instead of Sparta, become world power? It's not a philosophical question. It's a very, it's a very simple answer. Don't worry, I'll tell you. If you watch 300, you see that when it comes to battle formation, Sparta is good. Abi, yeah. courage, fearlessness, bravado, noise, clouds, hype, and humanity with action, it was Sparta. But they didn't dominate the world. Why? One very simple, almost stupid reason. The Sparta goes, the Spartan goes into battle bare-chested. Go <laughs> go and do your words. You get. So what Rome did was Rome learned battle formations from them, learned courage, learned all that, but added one thing extra. Amo, 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 amo. That's all. Amo. It's because Rome, being a political state knew the, the cost of raising one soldier. It's not that I didn't care. They were born to die. <laughs> Do you get? So, but Rome saw that it's too expensive to lose one soldier now. Do you get? So they had to innovate. So how can we protect them from fiery darts? It was from that concept that Paul got the armor of God. You can be a believer and you're doing better. The arrow hits you. There is a strategy for warfare. Are you getting this? So Rome fixed that little mistake that Sparta made and became what? Are you seeing this? There was something I made this. Okay. Yes, the cost of a believer. So because Rome saw the cost of raising one soldier, they didn't afford they 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 would do anything to protect one soldier. So in the same way. The cost of one believer is the death of a son. You, you can't just go like that. So God will do everything to protect your stay on this earth. 
Not just that, to make sure that you fulfill your assignment and return when your time is due. And another thing that makes people um, not take out action is because they're afraid of missing it. Abi? They're afraid of missing it. They feel that if they make one mistake like this, God will take it away from them. Abi? It's not, it's not true. It's not true. It's not true that sometimes you've refused to pray or even preach the Bible because you told one that you did something very bad. It's not true. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and because you're afraid to miss it, you feel that God will take it away from you. You know, say so then whine and love. You will punish yourself and run on the ground and all that so that when you now feel peace, okay, finally I earned it. That's bullshit. See, in fact, maybe one day we'll, we'll, we'll spend time talking about the story of the man who wanted to miss it. How many of you remember Jonah? Jonah wanted to miss it. God said, Nineveh, he said, oh, that's it. He went, he boarded the boat. Storms came. He knew it was because of him. Ah, and maybe God brought that storm to bring him back. He said, me, I will miss it. He jumped into the, the sea. Ah, angels were like, this guy has jumped in. God said, I ascend away. See, he wanted to miss it. He was taking steps to miss it in destiny. <laughs> but God refused. Do you know the time it takes to raise another prophet? Before that time comes, Nineveh would have been destroyed. Jonah wanted to miss it. He wanted to. He wanted to make mistakes. I see. Rub it on his face. See it. You, you can't use me. So you can't sit down. That doesn't matter to me. And after all the drama, he said, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to do it." And in forty days, they repented. The, the shortest, most powerful message ever preached in the history of him. It was it came from a man who wanted to miss it. How much more you that has been sealed by the Spirit of God? What, what is the problem? Then calm down. You're not going anywhere. You see, you will not miss it. It's not possible. You will not miss it. Do you know God leads you more by forbidding you than by telling you? Not that He doesn't tell you, right? But I've I've thought something about God. You might be there praying, Lord, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me. And God won't say anything. But when you start taking steps, you now go, go, go. When you get to a crossroad, you look. You now want to go here, like, no, turn left. You go. It's as if God leads you by forbidding you. But once he has given you that instruction, just run with it. I don't, I don't care the, the mistakes you are making along the road. Just run with it. When he wants to forbid you, he will forbid you. Because a lot of people are waiting for God to do what He is depending on us to do. See, our relationship with God is co-creation. We are partnering with God. So that means that there are certain things that if you don't do, God won't do. Especially in your own life. If you don't pray that prayer, that prophecy may just be hanging on your head. And one day we'll talk about it. Right? So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today. We give you glory and praise. <laughs> Hey, thank you, Jesus, for your love. Just, just go ahead and thank him for his love. Thank you for the kind of hearts that he has. And that we see that he channels his power through his love for us and brings us into his will for our lives. You are the will of God. You are the will of God. Stop waiting for permission. The permission you need was the fact that Jesus died for you. Step in. That business idea you have, step in. That thing that God has been in you have to do, step in. Father, we give you thanks and praise. Thank you for your love. 
we ask in the name of Jesus that David, that you help us even understand your love even more and grow in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. All right, so we're, we're, I mean, we're in very interesting times. In fact, I wanted to take the prayer for this week because something is brewing in the atmosphere and we need to press into it. So, but um, I've not decided yet. So maybe let's just continue with the trend. Um, if in the middle of the week I get that leading, we'll take it. We're going to be doing intentional praying next year. See, just I want you to, in fact, say after me. Say after me in Jesus' name. Say after me in Jesus' name. From today, I will give no excuses. Say that I will give no excuses. I'm not hearing you. So I will give no excuses. But I can't hear you. I will not complain. I will plunge in. You have said it to angels, heard it, and they've recorded it. <laughs> so, see, listen, listen, see, guys, guys, see. When, when we started this, and I was, I was like, we're going to take it silent. We're not doing silent anymore. In fact, what God has called us to do is to harvest, right? So, but next year, we're going to be doing a lot of intentional praying. So, for me, personally, for me, personally, every weekend of next year, apart from other ones I have. We're, we're going to be, the father's family, we're going to be fast. I mean, I'm going to be fasting for the father's family. So, out of that three days, every weekend, choose one. That means you're going to fast 52 days. For the father's family, is going to fast 52 days next year. That's 52 weeks. So that's once every week. And it's because I've seen. And like I tell you guys that Maybe I'm going to teach that in this. The secret to answered prayers, right? Because I've seen that most of the things that are hanging over our heads that are not come to pass, that God has said will come to pass, is because of something we're, we're, we're not, there's something we're not doing. Not in terms of works now, but we're not praying it out. So we're going to be doing intentional praying plans, and then our prayers next year will be more of intentional meditations, right? I taught you guys last week that meditation is, meditation is about Taking God's word and speaking it. Are you getting? It's because the way a lot of Christians pray is that they pray for God to do it. It's like praying for God to do it. But no, because Jesus has come, God has done it. So all we need, so our prayer means we take what is written and we we speak it out. Are you getting? We now speak it. For example, if you see in the Bible, by the stripes you were healed. Now, it came as a prophecy. In these days, you will not say, I were healed. You say, by his tribe, I was healed. So, for example, the way you pray, for example, if you want to pray to God to heal you, you are feeling sick in your body, you don't say, Lord, please heal me. I know you want to heal me. You'll be frustrating God and frustrating yourself. What you do is you say, Father, I thank you because blood was shed for me. Christ died for me and the Father loves me and by his stripes I am healed. And you act it. That's how it happens. right? So with time we're going to learn all these things and all that. And we're going to do intentional planting. I, I, I put it this way. Planting or rather aligning ourselves to the will of God for our lives or God's whatever word over our lives by intentionally 
praying as we, we should pray as New Testament believers. Intentionally. Our prayers next week is going to be intentional. So, if I, what I want to do by December is craft out I mean, the main points of our confessions and our meditations. Because that's what we need to do as believers. In fact, let me tell you, if you want to pray three hours, let me give you the... Let me, you see, one of the reasons why we think praying for three hours is hard is because they told us you need to charge. I mean, you need to, you need to get ready. You need to have capacity. You need to... It's those messages that made it impossible for us to pray for three hours. I found the easiest way to pray for six hours or three hours. I just opened my Bible. Take, for example, Psalm 103, verse 1, bless the Lord of my soul. And then I will, let, I will pray on that. I will exhaust it till I feel it release. Are you getting me? Once I'm done with that one, I go to the second one. And, ex- and pray it in tongues until I feel it release. By the time you've done two, one hour has come. Do you get it? So now, when you need to... So we don't stop praying when it's six hours or when, when it's one hour. It's possible for you to take a prayer and in ten minutes you feel that release because as you step into the spirit praying, you're no longer in time. You are in the, you are in the eternal now. So when you stop praying is when you feel that. Have you ever prayed and you felt that? That's when you stop. Are you getting this? So we're going to be doing those intentional praying and we're going to be praying for ourselves. We're going to pray for our families our husbands, our wives, our children, our careers, our business, I'm going to intentionally, I'm going to be praying this prayer. And you will see what's going to happen to our lives just next year. In fact, what I usually do is, let's test it out. See, just come with it, come with the mindset that this thing is going to work. Let's test it, let's test it out. That's the way I am. I will test it out and see. Do you understand? So next year, we're going to be doing that intentionally. So I want you to position your heart. As we step into next year, and I'm trusting God next year to give us our own space because we need to open the doors for the prayer. I'm trusting God. I'm trusting Him to give us our own space. And then we'll plunge into the harvest. And one of the things that is going to happen in that meeting is we're going to be seeing activations. People's destinies being activated just by being in our company. So I'd like you to have that consciousness in your heart. See, take away every fear from your heart. We'll see what God will do in our own lives and in the lives of people coming around. So next year is very excited. I'm already excited. I can't wait to jump into next year. In fact, I've jumped into 2020 so I'm like this. So see, let me tell you now. In fact, I'm saying this is GI saying it from even all the biases. Don't give me any excuse next year. Don't give me any excuse. I don't want to hear. In fact, in fact, let me beg you. If I tell you to do something and you know you say yes and not do it later, don't just say I won't be. But what I want you to do is rise up to the summons. Rise up to the responsibility. What we are doing is not, it's not because we are trying to build. It's, it's capacity. It's capacity. Are you getting this? Right. So, and what helped me as a teenager was taking responsibility. Anytime I'm called to do something, I take responsibility. I don't give any excuses. I find it to do. Because one of the things that would, that would cripple you is excuses. Are you getting this? And there's nothing God hates more than excuses. God hates that thing. In fact, in fact, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was marveled at their unbelief. Like what? As in, you know, nothing really surprises God, but that one surprised me. Like what is this now? And let me tell you, responsibility does not mean convenience. Are you getting it? It may be inconvenient, but you do it regardless. That's how you stretch. That's how you stretch. Does it make sense? 
So I'm not taking any excuses. As I say the excuses, I'm, I'm not hearing what you are saying. So please let's take responsibility. In fact, let me say this. There's there's a concept. Okay, I think I'm going to end this. Good night, everybody. God bless you. Bye.